The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Stocks looking to bounce back after the Dow suffers its worst week since October on Fed rate hike worries. But futures are fighting off the pressures this morning. Also under pressure, Bitcoin and other cryptos facing steep losses amid new crackdowns. We're live in Beijing with the very latest. Bill Ackman getting in the music business as his SPAC snatches up a 10% stake in the label that boasts a lineup of Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Drake, and many more. Negotiations over a bipartisan infrastructure package once again hitting a wall as Washington gears up for a very busy week. And let there be rock. Foo Fighters reopening the doors at one of the world's most famous arenas. It is Monday, June 21st, 2021. Prime Day. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures right now in the green. This after the Dow posted its worst week since October, falling nearly three and a half percent. Markets overall taking a big drop on Friday on comments by St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard right here on CNBC saying higher interest rates could be coming as soon as next year, as opposed to the Fed's projection of 2023. Now taking a look at the bond market right now, the 10-year, uh, pretty much flat, hitting right now at about 1.4%, uh, a two-month low for the 10-year. Also want to check in on the cryptos. Bitcoin, it dropped over the weekend amid a focus on Chinese mine closures and potential regulatory scrutiny. Right now, Bitcoin sitting just under 33000 down almost 7%. We'll have much more on China's latest crackdowns on crypto coming up soon. All right, let's go worldwide now. Matt Taylor. He's standing by in Singapore. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom. Matt, we're going to kick things off with you on this Monday morning here in the U.S. Hi there, Frank. Good morning to you. You know what? It was a pretty rough start to the trading week for markets across the Asia Pacific, most notably led by Japan, which was down by more than 3%. But of course, we continue to see during the active hours session here in Asia, US futures notching up triple digit declines, particularly when it comes to the implied open for the Dow. So that pressured markets right across the Asia Pacific. Uh, across the board, we did have the likes of Australia down by about 1.8%, South Korea down by almost 1%. Uh, but the mainland China market actually managed to close higher with a gain of around about a tenth of 1%. The China loan prime rate, the de facto interest rate there, uh, the PBOC leaving that unchanged for a 14th consecutive month. Uh, but let's go to Japan because we did see the market there closing down by 3.3% at the close of trade. We were off by about 4% earlier on in the session, a more than 1,000 point decline uh, for the Japanese market at one point. Really investors taking risk well and truly off the table when it came to uh, the Japanese market. We also had the yen strengthening as well. Uh, it was trading around the 110 level uh, for the last couple of 
of day, strengthening into the 109 handle, so that didn't help out the market either. The Hong Kong market down by about 1% at the close of trade, managing to pair back some of its earlier declines. We're watching shares of HSBC uh, down significantly, and that pressured Hong Kong stocks. This after it, of course, sold its French retail business uh, to Cerberus last week. Uh, it confirmed today it will take a $2.3 billion hit on that sale because, Frank, it sold the business, forget this, just one euro. Over to you. Wow. All right, Matt, thank you. Now turning our attention to the early trade over in Europe, Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with more. Hey, Juliana. Good morning, Frank. So we opened up on the back foot this morning following that weak handover from Asia. But since then, we have bounced off the lows. And now the stock 600, the main benchmark here in Europe, is actually trading in positive territory. We're up about four basis points to around 452. Now, to put this into context, last week we did see the stock 600 fall back alongside that fall on Wall Street. The stock 600 dropped about 1.2% over the week. So overall, more resilient than the U.S. market. But we did see losses come through. Turning to the individual markets, from a regional perspective, we are seeing gains now for the DAX, the German market up about three-tenths of a percent. Italian, French, and British markets now also trading above the flat line. Italy in focus today. The country is moving to ease restrictions in most of the country. But get this, they are now imposing a five-day quarantine for all travelers coming from the U.K., as the U.K. continues to be a point of concern amid the rising cases of the Delta variant. I want to turn you now to... Morrison's UK grocer shares in this stock are up more than 30% today. This comes on the back of news that the company rejected an unsolicited takeover bid from private equity, raising the prospect now of a bidding war. Frank, back over to you. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Now to some of the morning's other top stories. The UK government is signaling it'll keep restrictions on overseas travel in place amid a surge in COVID infections there. Speaking yesterday, the country's justice minister said, Normal holidays likely would not be the case this year amid the uptick and concerns over a third wave of the virus. The remarks are really a blow to airlines and a push by conservative lawmakers in the U.K. for the government to loosen its restrictions. Here at home, the Biden administration is looking to ramp up efforts to get jabs in the arms of more Americans amid mounting concerns over the Delta variant and dropping vaccination rates. The White House is not expected to hit its goal of having 70 percent of adults at least partly vaccinated against COVID-19 by July the 4th, the independence holiday here in the U.S. Meanwhile, former FDA chief Scott Gottlieb is warning that transmission of that more contagious Delta variant here in the U.S. could lead to a fall surge in infections. We'll have much more on that concern coming up right here on Squawk Box. And it's official. Bill Ackman's SPAC is buying a 10 percent stake in Universal Music Group from French media giant Vivendi. The deal values the music company at more than $40 billion. As part of the agreement, a first of its kind for a SPAC, Ackman's Pershing Square, Tantan Holdings, will distribute shares to its shareholders only after Vivendi completes its planned listing of that stock overseas, Universal Music Group, home to Lady Gaga and Drake. All right, turning our attention back to the markets. As investors remain focused on the Fed and when a rate hike could be coming down the line, inflation worries also on the top of the mind of many investors. But your next guest says a lot of those concerns are actually overcooked. Lee Baker is the owner and the president of Apex Financial. Lee, thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be with you, Frank. So, Lee, overcooked is a relative term. Some people like their steak rare. Some people like it well done. So it's a relative term. But it's hard to argue with how the markets are responding to inflation. Uh, Stocks coming off their worst week since October. And the one I really want to pay attention to is the Russell. That down 4% for the week. We often call that the reopening index. And we're also seeing this variant. Um, Are people's inflation concerns warranted? 
So it depends on whether your outlook is short term or longer term. You know, as a financial advisor and dealing with folk and their long term plans for their goals and the, the things they want to achieve in life. And so if we're looking out over the long term, no, there's no need to be terribly concerned about what we're currently looking at as inflation. Uh, year over year, uh, the 5% number, yeah, that's a huge bump. Uh, but when we look at the trend line, uh, we're running about 2.2%, which is barely above the target that the Fed set for uh, what they like for inflation. So, Lee, I don't know. Where are you at right now? What, what town are you in? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. In Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Okay. I'm from Go Philadelphia, Hawks. but we're up here in New York. Everybody likes to, to drink coffee, but we want you to read the tea leaves. So you're saying inflation's only slightly, I know, inflation's only slightly above the Fed's target, but they already said that uh, a rate hike could be coming as soon as next year. Right now, the markets are not responding well to even the idea of a rate hike. So how are we overcooked on these concerns if there's a good chance one's coming next year? Well, so I think that uh, the overcooking that I'm speaking of is you hear people talking about rampant inflation, runaway. Uh, I'm in that camp that thinks, yes, there'll be some inflation, but transitory. Uh, and so there are some people that suggest that it won't be transitory. Uh, we're starting to see some things that, in my opinion, leads me to believe uh, that we're not looking for an extended period of particularly high inflation. Uh, it's not down to where it needs to be. But, for example, the housing market, uh, things are booming literally here in Atlanta as it relates to housing. Part of that is lumber prices. Well, uh, we finally seen that lumber prices have come down a little bit. They're still two to three times what they were pre-COVID. Uh, but that's one of those things that says, hey, listen, at some point, we're going to get beyond all of these inflationary pressures, uh, this backlog. I mean, today is, is Prime Day and, and happy Prime Day to everybody out there. Uh, but you've got some people that are concerned about the ability to fulfill orders. But as we get beyond some of these things, I think a lot of the pressures that are uh, creating some of this inflation will subside over the next six, seven months. Yeah, a lot of people are concerned about those supply chain issues. Um, so if I'm concerned about those supply chain issues or I'm concerned about inflation, where can I put my money right now? Do you have any thoughts for those people out there who don't think all these concerned are overcooked and don't think the word of 2021 transitory is how to describe it? OK, so there are a number of places that uh, candidly, you should always have some of your money uh, that respond well to inflation. Uh, you know, you can take a look at areas like real estate. Uh, let's look at areas like commodity and those companies that benefit from commodity. You know, uh, if you think about last year, if you owned oil, your portfolio lagged. You got hammered uh, because we shut down. Uh, but then as we started to get needles and arms, so to speak, uh, oil looked really, really good and, and performed quite well. Another area that uh, people who have more of a conservative bent and they're concerned about inflation, uh, take a look at TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protective Securities, uh, as an option for your portfolio. All right. Lee Baker from Apex Financial. We appreciate the insight early on this Monday morning here in the U.S. Have a great day. Happy to be with you. Yeah, happy Prime Day to you, too. Hope you buy a lot of stuff. All right. When we come back, Bitcoin and other cryptos under a lot of pressure this morning amid new worries of increasing crackdowns by China. We're going to go live to Beijing for the very latest. Plus, Fed Chairman Jay Powell set to head for the Hill with his latest take on the U.S. economy. We're going to preview that testimony. And American Airlines announcing it's just scrapping hundreds of flights over the next few weeks. But for a good reason, we'll tell you why. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Bitcoin, other cryptos are getting pre- hit pretty hard this morning. Bitcoin down about 8%. Ethereum down nearly 10%. This is mining operations in China are shuttered and worries are building over more regulations coming down the pike. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the very latest. Hey there, Eunice. Hey, Frank. Well, Chinese media are reporting that uh, one of the country's big four banks, Agricultural Bank of China, has pledged that it is going to block access of virtual currency trading for its customers. Uh, the news outlets are citing an online statement by AgBank uh, saying that the bank will expand investigations and monitoring of any potential trading and, if needed, suspend accounts, terminate customer relationships and report activity to the authorities. Now, this pledge isn't new, but the timing of it is spooking traders because it comes right after officials in one of the biggest Bitcoin mining provinces, uh, Sichuan province in the southwest, uh, said that it is going to shutter at least 26 suspected cryptocurrency mining projects. Authorities there say that the city aims to root out all Bitcoin and Ether mining in a year. Now, the move is being read as a broader push by Beijing um, to try to tackle cryptocurrency because of the financial risks as opposed to only the environmental risks. Uh, previous projects in crypto mining had been uh, powered by coal, uh, but now these ones are all hydropowered. The Global Times a newspaper, which is a Communist Party paper, said that as of Sunday, uh, the vast majority of these projects had been shut down and that the clampdown means that 90 percent of the country's Bitcoin mining capacity will be shuttered um, once this, uh, this is all finished, Frank. Eunice, 90% of Bitcoin capacity. That's incredible. So have you heard anything more about where those Bitcoin miners may be moving to? Well, interestingly enough, uh, there have been um, some logistics companies in the port city of Guangzhou that have been kind of showing off about some of the business that they've been able to do because of this Bitcoin mining move. And uh, one in particular, we phoned up, uh, they said that they have moved and confirmed um, 3,000 kilograms of Bitcoin mining gear, about 6,600 pounds worth, heading to the northeastern part of the United States. They wouldn't tell us, though, which companies or which areas in specific. Wow, wait, three tons of Bitcoin mining equipment going to the northeast? Wow. Yeah. And they were actually really excited saying that they made about twenty eight thousand dollars on this transaction. So so a lot of money. That's uh, um, a part of this. Very interesting development. Northeast is not what I was expecting you to say. All right. Yunus Yoon with the very latest from Beijing. Thanks a lot. All right. Still on deck. A big weekend for the cruise industry. A key test for hitting the high seas in the age of covid taking place. Stay with us. Today's big number. 18 billion dollars 
That's how much auto insurance companies issued to customers in premium relief last year, according to J.D. Power. That represents about 7% of total industry premiums. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Bipartisan infrastructure talks once again hitting a roadblock. Despite gaining momentum in the Senate, lawmakers are very divided over how to fund the more than $1 trillion bipartisan plan. Those negotiations, one of the key events for Washington this week. Also on the list, Fed Chairman Jay Powell heading to the Hill tomorrow to testify on the economic recovery. And lawmakers in the, in the House are set to vote on a package of antitrust bills, including several targeting the market power of big tech. Lots going on here. For more, I'm joined by Jimmy Pethokoukis, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute and a CNBC contributor. Jimmy P., if you don't mind me calling you. Thanks for being here today. That's fine, you bet. All right, a lot to unpack here. I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I don't think Washington knows where to start, but infrastructure seems like a logical place just with that $1 trillion price tag. Just yesterday, mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham saying to the president, we, are, we can meet on a $1 trillion deal so why not just get that deal done and then take things from there? Yeah, well, I think now we see why, even though everyone agrees we have an infrastructure problem, uh, nothing's been passed up till this point. Uh, the White House obviously has sort of initially set expectations for something much bigger. OK, so that's a problem. Uh, Democrat, some Democrats in Congress are worried if they vote for this infrastructure plan, it's going to be harder uh, to get votes for another plan that takes care of some of the other president's uh, priorities um, uh, after it. Of course, Republicans are worried that it, some Republicans are worried that if they do vote for this plan, then there'll be this other uh, second plan, which may have some health care priorities, uh, other things. So you have all these different sort of uh, agendas operating uh, against each other. And frankly, at this point, there's not votes for any one plan. And will I be shocked If nothing happens, I mean, the chances of that happening aren't zero. I have to ask you, I mean, Lindsey Graham coming out and saying he's ready to negotiate with the president and basically meet him halfway in in many ways. Isn't that a positive step forward? There were some other Republican lawmakers that also said that they were on board with at least one version of the bill. Why can't everybody come together with some common ground and then go forward with that? Because certainly the economy could use the boost. Yeah, listen, I mean, I mean, Republicans have moved a lot. Uh, to accept to accept a you know a trillion dollar bill, so th- so they've moved. But again, I think one problem is that when this whole process started, there were huge expectations uh, that the president set and 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 Democrats and some Democrats, progressives in Congress sent uh, for just a much bigger plan and sort of getting their head around it that that, that may not happen and they're going to have to pass that second plan maybe in reconciliation when initially they thought they could maybe do it in one sort of mega reconciliation plan and it might not happen for all, the longer this process goes on, and now you're talking maybe uh, one bill and then a second, then a reconciliation bill, it just adds complexity and the odds of nothing happening uh, increase. And that, I mean, that worries some Democrats. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders coming out against electric vehicle fees 
and also gas tax right. fees, also another snag in that yeah. process. Let's turn our attention to Jay Powell heading to the Hill. Um, what could he say that's different than we heard just last week? Or what could he say that could actually give the market some confidence? Obviously, futures up today, but last week seeing the worst week since October. Yeah. You know, I wonder if the point now isn't just sort of repetition uh, where or the market does not need to hear like more new information. They're going to sort of um, they're going to sort of, you know, take absorb what's already happened and then move on from there. Um, it, listen, certainly they don't want to, They don't want to. They don't want to perceive that the risks of hikes are greater. Uh, I think they're still absorbing that information, and I, I think sort of a steady as she goes attitude would be like fantastic for market participants right now. Um, I know you said it's all about repetition, but if Jay Powell continues to say the same thing, wouldn't we expect to see the same reaction from the markets? I mean, at, at sometimes market, the market is going to incorporate this information. You know, it's a giant calculating machine of data. <laughs> And that will become part of market expectations. I think the question is, is this now been fully absorbed as market expectations or is that process still need to continue? Uh, I hope I hope it's the former. Well, Jimmy, P., before we let you go, we got to talk about those antitrust bills that could impact big tech. Um, How do you see that playing out? And will that actually impact big tech? We've seen the FTC investigate social media companies. We've seen other antitrust investigations, some fines paid, some scrutiny but certainly not any big changes to any of these platforms. Listen, uh, just changing the law that you, that you would break up one company uh, or create a, a situation where they couldn't buy another company, those are significant changes. And I would not expect the first changes to be breakups, uh, you know, forcing big tech to divest anything, uh, preventing them from uh, you know, acquiring new companies. I think it's far more likely any kind of initial action would be something a far less dramatic, like, you know, uh, increasing the funding for the FTC so they can begin to make that case in a more meaningful, economically significant way about these companies. To go from where we are right now, especially when you have sort of the China case out there, where big tech companies have said, hey, we're your national champions against China. To go from the current situation to sort of these more extreme bills, uh, which, again, would, would maybe force divestitures, uh, stop them from acquiring new companies. That is a significant leap. I would not expect that to be the first thing that happens and certainly nothing that happens, uh, you know, this term in Congress. All right, Jimmy P. Big week here in, oh, not here in Washington, yes. but down in Washington. We appreciate the insight as always. Great stuff as always. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank still you. on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, retail in focus, former industry insider Arthur Martinez breaks down big sale events from Target Walmart and, of course, Amazon's Prime Day and what they could signal for the sector overall. And if you haven't already followed our podcast, you might as well go ahead and do it. If you miss World Out Exchange, Big Papa, Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify and other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to stop last week's skid with the Dow suffering its worst week since October. But right now, futures are positive. A key test for the cruise industry as Royal Caribbean carries out a trial run for sailing in the age of COVID. And talk about a first Father's Day for John Rahm. Winning the U.S. Open, his first major title with a pair of late clutch plays. It is Monday, June 21st, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures in the green across the board. The Dow looking like it's poised to pop at the moment, 
up to 200 points at the open. This after the Dow posted its worst week since October, falling nearly 3.5%. Markets overall taking a big drop on Friday on comments by St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard right here on CNBC, saying higher, higher interest rates could be coming as soon as next year, as opposed to the Fed's projection of 2023. All right, now over to the early trade in Europe right now. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom. And earlier, I would have called you the lady in red, but I'm seeing a little bit of green behind you now. <laughs> That's right, Frank. We have seen the positive momentum build over the course of the morning. After a week handover from Asia, we started out the morning on the back foot trading in the red, but now the stock 600 is up about a third of a percent. So even higher from when we spoke about a half an hour ago, global investors, so European investors uh, alongside those U.S. investors digesting what the Federal Reserve shift in policy stance means moving ahead. But it seems as though investors are uh, taking a little bit of relief this morning after after the losses that we saw last week, the stock 600 ended about 1.2% lower over the course of last week. Turning to the individual regions this morning, we now have green across the board. Uh, at one point, the majority of these regions were trading lower, but the things, things have changed. So we are seeing pretty evenly split gains this morning. The DAX, the German market out in front, though, up about 0.5%. The Italian market up about 0.3% in Italy. The majority of regions now seeing an easing of restrictions, but the, UK, the uh, Italian um, uh, policy has shifted and now are mandating five-day quarantine for all passengers arriving from the UK. Uh, and now, lastly, just taking a look at UK grocers. Morrison shares up more than 30% on news that they have rejected a takeover bid from private equity, raising the specter now of a bidding war breaking out. Frank, back over to you. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Now to some of your morning's other top stories. American Airlines says it canceled hundreds of flights this weekend due to staffing shortages maintenance problems, and a number of other issues. American added it's scaling back its overall schedule by about 1% through the middle of next month to help ease some of those disruptions. This weekend's issues come as the airline industry overall tries to capitalize on the surge in travel demand. A trial cruise carried out by Royal Caribbean officially hitting the high seas as that industry looks to resume its normal operations. The company's Freedom of the Sea ship left Miami last night with about 600 employee volunteers on board. They're testing COVID health and safety measures before that ship starts welcoming paying passengers. And the Foo Fighters bringing one of the world's most famous arenas back to life with Madison Square Garden hosting its first concert since March of last year. Hard to believe. The band hosting a Father's Day show at 100% capacity. However, fans had to show proof of full vaccination to get access. All right, turning to the consumer now and a really big week shaping up for retail. Today marks the first day of Amazon Prime Day 2021. The company's Christmas in July type sale was rescheduled last year due to COVID-19. As usual, Amazon is not alone. Target and Walmart are also hosting their own multi-day sales events. But the huge sales events are not without their own wall of worry. Rising prices, fragile supply chains and the uncertain state of the consumer. All of them front and center this morning. Let's talk more about this with a longtime retail insider, former Sears chairman and CEO Arthur Martinez. Among his list of other accolades, we're going to just list them down, Arthur. Former Saks Fifth Avenue vice chairman, former Abercrombie and Fitch executive chairman, whole list of other things we don't have time to get into. Arthur, good morning here in the for on U.S. time. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Nice to be with you today. All right, let's start off with Prime Day. Uh, this is something actually I cover in their supply chain issues. Um, the lateness of prime deliveries have been building throughout the year, even as e-commerce levels have begun to decline somewhat. How does Amazon deal with this? And do consumers actually really care about late packages? 
Well, I think uh, consumers really care about this uh, this frenzy of deal making that's going on among Amazon and its large competitors. Uh, I am very confident, frankly, that Amazon's preparation for this event uh, has been extremely uh, extremely solid. Uh, last year, I think uh, the reports were that they did something like $10.4 billion of revenue uh, on their Prime Day uh, event, which is, of course, over two days now. Uh, today, this year, with consumers much more adept, frankly, at ordering online, that's what they've been doing for the last 15 months. I think the consumer is ready to act, and I believe Amazon is prepared. And I wouldn't be surprised to see at least a 25% increase in Amazon's revenue. You know, I don't think it'd be a shock for any of these big box retailers to see an increase in revenue. But I also spoke to a trucking company that does a lot of trucking for Amazon, Walmart, and Target. And in his mind, yeah, great opportunity for truckers, great opportunities for retailers. But this is going to actually kick off basically the holiday peak six months before the holidays even start as we go into back to school, as we go to the summer produce season, as we go to Black Friday. So are retailers going to see a big boost in revenues right now, but also a higher increase in cost that just accelerates throughout the year, in your opinion? Well, there are two things that I think will, will happen. Number one, I think some demand will be pulled forward. Uh, into these uh, high-intensity high promotional days uh, so that I would expect to see over the next 30 to 60 to 90 days perhaps a more modest uh, result from a revenue perspective for most retailers. From a cost side, uh, the pressure is on. There's no question about it. Wage rates are under a lot of pressure. Uh, the labor force is not where it needs to be to support the uh, extent of economic activity that's in, the, it's in uh, place right now. Uh, so costs are going to be up. Prices on underlying merchandise are also uh, going up uh, for sure as supply chains have been disrupted and scarcity, of course, drives uh, drives demand, which drives prices up. So I think there are two sources, uh, one source of pressure and one source of uh, accelerated gratification, if you will. Well, let's talk about immediate gratification. Uh, you can get that when you go to the store and you can swipe your card and pick up your item right there in the store when it's available. Do you see people going back to the malls as we begin to normalize, but also have that specter of that Delta variant? Well, I think the malls, uh, which have been under pressure for a long time, will continue to be under tremendous pressure. Uh, the statistics that I've seen indicate that on a two-year basis, and you really have to look at mall traffic results over two years and not compare it just to the quarter last year when we were in lockdown. If you look at mall traffic over the last two years, it's still down almost 50%, 50%. So uh, even though things have opened up in our country, uh, consumers are still reluctant to go to the mall since they've learned how to uh, tr transact and interact with the brands they like on online. So I'd say the malls are continuing to be under pressure. One other interesting data point is Washington Prime, which was a collection of old Simon malls, BNC malls, 100, 100 shopping centers, uh, went bankrupt in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that foreshadows what I consider to be a very significant contraction in the amount of mall retail space in America. One real estate advisory firm predicts a 20% reduction in retail mall space by 2025. All right, Arthur, before we let you go, I got to ask you one last question. You mentioned a lot of that demand being pulled forward and retailers and other companies bringing more inventory over early. But right now we're seeing record high trucking rates, record high container rates. What's the impact of that for consumers when they do their back to school shopping? Are we going to see less products available, higher prices? longer delivery times. What do you forecast? Well, I forecast that retailers, particularly if we look at the soft goods or apparel side, which is very important for back to school, uh, a delayed investment in inventory build. Actually, at apparel receipts 
I landed in this country from overseas, which is where most of the power was manufactured, are actually down thus far in the second quarter. So retailers, I think, are both uh, reflecting the challenges in the supply chain, but also playing it very close to the best in terms of building inventory because of uncertainty around demand as we go through the second half of the year. All right. Arthur Martinez, we appreciate the insight as always. Hopefully you can give me a hookup on some Abercrombie jeans. I haven't seen them in a while, but I think well, I, I hope you have bad jeans in the back of your closet because they're back. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny that you're calling them dad jeans. All right. You have a good morning. Thanks for being here. All right, coming up, a massive weekend for sports fans with plenty of golf, basketball, and hockey action. Don't really want to talk about basketball. I'm a Sixers fan. We dive into what it means for the industry's efforts to bounce back from pandemic lockdown. Stay with us right here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back. The final round of the U.S. Open Golf Championship traditionally falls on Father's Day. This year, it was especially sweet for one new dad. John Rahm was, was one shot down with two holes to play. He birdied the 17th to tie for the lead and then sank this 18-footer on the final hole to win the whole thing at six under par and one shot ahead of Louis Oosthuizen. Rahm winning his first major title and had his wife and 10-week-old son who was born right before the Masters right there to celebrate. Great moment right there. Let's talk more about the Open and Rahm's victory now with Matt Adams of the Golf Channel. A lot easier to say than Louis Oosthuizen. And host of the Fairways Life Show, which you can get on the Fairways of Life app and on Apple and Android devices. Matt, thanks for being here. Pleasure to join you this morning. How are you? So, Matt, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge golf plan, uh, fan or player, actually. I'm, I'm combining player and fan somehow. Um, but I, I kind of get the idea that this is a huge event for golf. So to have a guy like John Rahm win, to come from behind, to have that drama, and then have him hug his wife and his baby right afterwards in a Tigerless U.S. Open, what does that mean for the sport? Uh, it means a lot for the sport because it introduces John Rahm as if he wasn't already a global golf superstar, he definitively is one right now. The things that are interesting about John Rahm, both in how his career developed and what the microcosm of that career has been over the last few weeks is absolutely remarkable. Consider the fact that at the Memorial Tournament, while he had received his COVID vaccine shot. It had not been within the 14 days. He was leading by six shots going into the final round, and he ends up testing positive and has to withdraw. It seemed as though that this was a great blow, as though fate said, no, we're going to deny you this victory. And instead, when he had a chance to address the media, he didn't blame anybody. He simply said, this is the way things go when we're dealing with a global pandemic. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to make sure that I take care of myself and my family and keep everybody safe. It was a remarkably gracious way for him to handle it. When you talk about John Rahm as a person, and this goes back to the broader spectrum, when John came to the United States to play golf for one Tim Mickelson, yes, Phil's brother, who is now the caddy for Phil on his bag, there was a direct connection between the Mickelsons and John Rahm. John Rahm couldn't even speak English in those days. He learned English primarily initially from listening to rap music. One of the raps against John Rahm in those early days was that he had a very volatile temper and oftentimes it consumed him at, in the moment. That is something that he has got such great control over right now. And as you saw from the video you just ran, when he made that birdie putt at 17, when he made that birdie putt on 18, he still possesses that great passion, that great yeah, emotion. I think we're he just it, doesn't. Man. It, it's yeah, amazing. It just doesn't it. allow the anger. Here we go. Yeah, there. I mean, there we go right there. So here's what else Pump he it. possesses due to a recent sponsorship change, a Callaway club. 
Um, let's talk about yeah. just the sport of golf and especially Callaway. Uh, Callaway stock up about 33 percent on the year, outperforming the market. The pandemic's actually been good for golf. It's outdoor activity. What does it mean True. for John Rahm to win a major with this sponsor? What does it mean for the company and also for its competitors? Uh, actually, it's good for everybody. I mean, all boats are going to rise with the rising tide on, on this one. Certainly, Callaway is going to benefit from having a marquee player like John Rahm. You know, here's here's a guy that has 51 top 10s and 108 starts on the PGA Tour, and he has eight top 10s in 20 starts as a major. So no matter what he puts in his hands, it provides instant credibility. You come into a store, you may not know what model of Callaway product that he's playing, but you may know that he's playing, say, a Chrome Soft golf ball and that, yeah, it's all Callaway from stem to stern. And so, again, that provides credibility. In terms of what it means for John Rahm himself, generally when you win a major championship, the number that's put on that initially is $100 million in terms of value from sponsorships and appearance fees, et cetera, et cetera. But he's a young guy, and over the course of his career, and presumably this is just the start given his strong performances, as I just referenced, I think it's going to be worth a lot more than that. So from a business perspective, this has a big reverberation in every way. What did you say? More than one hundred million? Yes. Oh, I got to get to the driving range, Matt Adams. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks for uh, waking up good early with you. us. All right, good to Thank see you. you. All right, the U.S. Open. It was not the only big event on the sports calendar this weekend. You also had two Game Sevens in the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks beating the Brooklyn Nets. Hard to believe they beat the Nets on Saturday. And then I don't even know why the producers did this. The Atlanta Hawks coming from behind in the fourth quarter to take down my Philadelphia 76ers. They were my Philadelphia 76ers. I might be giving up on them, I'm going to be honest. Plus, the Phoenix Suns beat the L.A. Clippers in game one of the Western Conference Finals. And the Stanley Cup playoffs are also in the conference finals. A lot of action to watch on television and in person and also to bet on. Let's talk about all this with Patrick Reich, director of the Sports Business Program at Washington University in St. Louis and the founder and the CEO of Sports Impacts. Patrick, thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. So I got to start with something personal. Uh, Just the impact of the number one seed, Philadelphia 76ers, losing to the lowly Hawks. What did that do to the betting lines? What did that do to Vegas? I mean, what's going on there? Uh, my sense is Vegas lost a little bit of money on that one, Frank, and, and you might have too. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. I don't put anything out there. But maybe. Uh, no, I mean, look, the gamification of sports is very real, and Frank, it's really impacted the sports industry in so many ways. Uh, I don't know if this is true with your beloved 76ers, but I know a lot of teams are now creating and building sports books in their arenas because it boosts fan engagement uh, and the technology advancements that have occurred because of the increases in gamification of sports are tremendous. Uh, so all of these things. And lastly, I'll just throw in media production. Because more states are now legalizing sports, what we're seeing is that, again, more media companies are actually having shows on gambling and they're incorporating gambling elements into their telecast. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, you got to correct me. Patrick Rich, Rhymes with Fish, you should have corrected me, man. Because I'm about to say some other oh, crazy oh, stuff. Oh, good. Hey, you guys, hey Frank, you, because of the emotional turmoil that you're suffering this morning, <laughs> I'll let it slide. I'm a mess, Patrick. I'm a mess. Um, I'm about to say some other crazy stuff, so stop me when you can. Um, so I, I have noticed about the gamification of telecasts. Right now, when you watch a game, for example, on TNT, you see the commercials. We'll have Charles Barkley talking about the betting lines and things like that. So when we talk about technology and gaming and gambling on pro sports, during the pandemic, we also saw people being able to have a, a basically a, a VR avatar at the game on screens 
and things like that. What's the next step when we're talking about mobile gaming and sports? Well, mobile gaming is, is where it's at. And here's the reason why is because the one area of gaming that has already grown and is soon going to be the majority of most bets made is in-game betting. Most of us, if we've ever placed a bet, you place it before the game. You bet on the point spread. You bet on the over-under. But now with in-game betting, which is only available, Frank, because of the advancements in technology where you've got access to data on the fly and these companies can change their lines and change things on the fly and you're betting in the game with your mobile, then that is really going to, again, boost engagement. And, and Frank, one last thing. Let me tell you why engagement is so important, because we've seen attendances even before the pandemic across many of these leagues go down. Because at the at-home viewing experience is so good that fans are staying at home. I mean, NFL Sundays, I'm watching the red zone. I'm not going to games. So at the end of the day, all of this is about how do we try to bring people back to the arenas, back to the stadiums, and get them engaged? Because that also helps with the corporate partnerships. And that's why these TVs are going to talk about these, these gambling deals on air because of the partnerships. Yeah, Patrick, I think you might have got some of your talking points from one of our producers, Adam. He just literally said to me he gambles on the games because it makes it more interesting. By the way, I don't gamble. I'm a terrible sport. You'd have known that if you were at my house last night when the game was on. <laughs> Patrick Rich, thanks for the, uh, uh, the insight, the gambling advice, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. No problem, Frank. Thank you. All right. On deck, stocks looking for a fresh start with futures pointing to a positive open. Credit Suisse's Patrick Palfrey lays out what investors need to watch in the week ahead. And June is Pride Month. All month long, we've been spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our CNBC colleagues. Here is National LGBT Chamber of Commerce President Justin Nelson. As an LGBTQ American that grew up in the great state of Wyoming, it wasn't always easy. But I have to say that um, being LGBTQ has helped me where I am today. It's affected not only me, but the organization that I helped found and the people that we serve every day. So you might not know it right this minute, but it is absolutely something that you need to be proud of and lean into. And I thank God for it every single day. All right, welcome back. Stocks looking to shake off last week's Fed rate hike worries with futures in the green right now. And your next guest says history has shown that walk up to the first hike could actually prove beneficial for the markets. Joining me now is Credit Suisse senior equity strategist Patrick Palfrey. Patrick, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So it sounds like you're talking about some historical data here. Kind of explain to us that walk up to a potential Fed rate hike and what we generally see in the markets. Well, I think what investors are typically very anxious about is any change in accommodative policy and what that particularly means for risk assets. And when we go back and we look through the data, what we typically see over the past four rate hike cycles is, on average, stocks do very well heading into the first rate hike. And in fact, they uh, increase around 9.5% in the 12 months preceding that first rate hike. And then even after the first rate hike happens, they still continue to move forward by around another 25 to 26%. So this shouldn't be viewed as the end of the bull cycle, but rather a continuation to a mid economic cycle, but not an issue for the equity market. You know, very interesting you're saying that. A lot of bears out there saying, you know, inflation's causing the markets to decline. Last week, we saw the Dow take a big dip, the S&P take a dip, the Nasdaq pretty much flat. 
But at the same time, we saw that the S&P hit a record high. So it seems like kind of a, some, con- some conflicting data, if you will. How are you perceiving all this? So I think the issue comes down to where you are in the market. And interest rates are a great signal on economic health. And so when the 10 years moving up, we want to be pro-cyclically oriented. We want to move into value assets. And in that case, think of the Dow Jones Industrial. Or we want to be in sectors like financials or industrials or materials or energy. And what is happening now is with the rotation potentially taking place as interest rates begin to um, potentially come in on some of these concerns, it's going to be problematic for that potential trade. And we don't see it ending quite yet. The fundamentals are very strong for value. We're expecting 40% growth this year, and that's really being propelled by those sectors. But nevertheless, we need to keep an eye on the direction of interest rates as to the health of that trade. We're only off 2% for the actual S&P 500 since its recent high. So we're not seeing a huge market problem, but the rotation has been pretty severe within the market. All right. Not a huge market problem. But when we look at all the S&P sectors on Friday, they were down. We already talked about the markets having their worst week since October. And then you look at the Russell down more than four percent last week. And we call that the reopening index. And then you also look at things like commodity prices, like lumber, a great indicator of consumer spending that taking a dip from its highs. Hard not to think that inflation is hurting the markets and the idea of a rate hike coming up would hurt it more. So I know what you're saying. The data says, but what's your argument to investors this week? What are you saying to them? Well, I think to keep in mind, one important thing to look at as we continue to judge this um, reopening trade is just how um, big consumer wallets are. And when you look at the uh, personal income savings rate that has taken place, we see wallets as high as they've been over time. And, you know, yes, people have put that towards good use, such as paying down debt. But nevertheless, that, that clears up future spending power. So as as uh, consumers continue to venture back out, um, we're going to see more and more wallets open. It's going to be pointed towards services, towards uh, entertainment, things that they haven't consumed during the crisis. And that's really going to drive the reopening trade. Um, you know, it, it's not to say that, you know, going back to the, the issue on an inflation that, you know, with the Russell 2000 or value may begin to be a little bit softer as we rotate into the middle innings of an economic cycle. But nevertheless, we don't view it as a problem for the market. So, Patrick, before we let you go, we've got one last quick question. Today's obviously Prime Day, another big measure of consumer spending with Amazon having about 50 percent of the e-commerce market and, and companies like Target and Walmart also having sales. Do you expect sales to top last year or to decline from last year? You know, in, in all honesty, it's not an area that I focus on, but I, I do know consumers are ready to spend. Um, and, and whether it's coming through Internet and online retailers or whether that's coming in person, uh, the, the opportunity is definitely there across the board. All right. Patrick Power for hitting the curveball there. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time and your insight this morning. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.